listener. Hello, crazy listener. Hello, listener. Hello, it's Sunday. You're listening to FabRadioInternational.com, or possibly you're listening to the Starburst Bookworm podcast. Welcome to the Bookworm. I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... A very lurgified Nympha Hayes. It's winter, so we both sound a little less... Sniffly. Sniffly. It's because it's winter and we have been infected with the zombie plague. Um, after the show, we'll be going out and wiping out Manchester with Brains. our 28 days latest style diseases. Um, or possibly just sneezing, one or the other. Um, so, coming up on the show, I will be talking about The Iron Ghost by Jen Williams. You won't have read it because it's not out yet. Hey. Show off. And I will be talking about Priestess of the White by Trudy Canavan. Uh, but coming up next, we have some delicious book news. Across the world, the real alternative, FabRadioInternational.com. Hello, you're listening to The Bookworm on Fab Radio International. Um, you're listening to The Bookworm on Fab Radio International. Ninfa, how, how is how, how, how's it going? How is it going? Well, um, it seems like we've got some uh, lovely juicy news. Um, a whole host of juicy news, actually. Coming up first, we have uh, the prison book ban that has been ruled unlawful. Um, Yay! Right to read, everyone! So, essentially, the uh, UK government is currently under a rather <coughs> draconian rule. I think it's, uh, it's the most apt way of putting it. And for some reason, they decided that it would be a great idea to, to ban um, people from uh, reading books in prison. Now, their justification, in fairness, was that people were hiding things in books. Well, you know, th- there is a way of preventing that. Yes, you yeah. open the package, you check the book quickly, <laughs> shake it, because, you know, unless it's some sort of high spy um, mechanical book that, you know, just responds to, to a scan of the retina of the relevant prisoner, whatever you hide in it will fall off. It, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the two options were clearly either we spend more money on stopping contraband getting into the prison in prison therefore we have to spend money on the guards and give the guards more money and <laughs> oh more time no. and more resources or we just violate the the prisoners civil rights well which option shall we go for yeah. um, there's one option that's obviously wrong uh, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much so yes mr justice collins on the 5th of december declared the ban unlawful saying he could see no good reason for the rule in light of the importance of books for prisoners um yeah, I mean, this is pretty much a no-brainer, and I think if anyone... Uh, we, we Obviously, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Tumblr. You can get in touch with the show all sorts of different ways. If you violently disagree, feel free to get in touch and say, no, 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 here are my justified reasons. Um, to be honest, we'll probably point and laugh at you, because this it, it's an, it was an ideological rules change. It was an ideological thing. Nothing to do with what they were claiming it was to do, and everything to do with, you know... The, the the policies of the current government. Um, should we should we try and leave politics slightly at the door? Yeah, that's that's not our cup of tea. Is it? We we talk about books, and you know what we were interested in is the right of everyone in the whole wide world to actually have a book. 
book. Which unfortunately apparently means that we're slightly left because we, we just want people to be able to learn and grow, which is ridiculous. Everyone should be able to learn and grow. It makes no sense to me. But um, but if it makes sense to you, let us know because we'd like to hear we'd like to hear your freedom of expression. And how can you tell us? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> you can contact us on Radio Bookworm on Facebook, Radio Bookworm on Twitter, Radio Bookworm on Tumblr, and obviously you can get in touch through both the Fab Radio International dot com's website or through Starburst Magazine. Uh, you can also send letters to the Starburst Magazine's office details or on the Starburst Magazine. Tell them how amazing we are. That would be lovely as well. Yes, because we're certificate winning. The next step, you all know it, it's award winning. We, we do have various certificates. Uh, the Bookworm does have a cycling proficiency and Woo-hoo. also has a silver in uh, swimming around the swimming pool. Um, it's also qualified to jump into the pool while wearing pajamas and rescue uh, toy penguins. That's a very that's a very uniquely British thing, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> Nympha sort of sat here looking at us like what? Yeah, <laughs> we don't do that in Italy. The thing is, I think I lived in a coastal town where they actually had like quite a lot of loss of life due to due to people falling into the sea and drowning. So we didn't get the whole pajama thing. We got the whole pajama thing at the start, and then as we got older, we were taught to wear just normal clothes, and then we were just pushed in. You, you, and apparently, that was a bit strange. You, you do all know that the pajama thing is just because we were too lazy to get changed. Yeah. Absolutely. Pajamas rule. Anyways, back to books. Chris Riddell. Yay. Chris Riddell. We, we are fans of Chris Riddell. We like Chris Riddell. We, we like, yeah. Um, has won, uh, won a Blue Peter Award. Not a Blue Peter badge, though I assume oh. the badge comes with it as well. I'd be disappointed if it doesn't. Um, there are two categories. Uh, sorry, Riddell hasn't won. He's been shortlisted. He's been shortlisted. But you know, maybe maybe we know, maybe we don't. The, 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 the awards are divided into two categories. Best book of facts and best story, and the three books and shortlisted in each include *Animalium* by Jenny Broom and Katie Scott. Oh, that sounds awesome! Um, *Corpse Talk* season one by Adam Murphy. That also sounds awesome. That's from the Phoenix comic. Um, it's really fun. I really love Phoenix. That was not prepared, ladies and gentlemen. That that was just spontaneous ooing. And the silly book of side-splitting stuff by Andy Seed and Scott Garnett from Bloomsbury. Uh, the best uh, in best story award, the shortlisted are *The Boy in the Tower* by Polly Hu Yen, uh, *Goth Girl* and uh, and *The Fate oh, Worse Than oh, Death*. Oh, *Goth Girl*! Yay! I bought that for my daughter for Christmas. She doesn't listen to the show, so it's fine to say. Oh, it's great. I mean, obviously by Chris Riddell. We we love Chris Riddell's stuff. Um, not just when he's writing Neil Gaiman, also when he's writing on his own. We think he's fab. Uh, and the spy who loved school dinners by Pamela Butchart and Thomas Flintham um, on, on Nosy Crow. Hey, Nosy Crow! Um, Nosy Crow do some fantastic stuff. I like the one with the weasels that Nosy Crow do. <laughs> the weasels take over the world. It's a fantastic kids book. If you don't read kids book or you don't have access to small children, you'll probably listen to this bit of the show going, "What on earth are they talking about?" It was Chris Rid- kids books. We're talking about kids books. It's a blue. They're awesome. Board, read them. It doesn't matter whether you're five or fifty. It'll take you five minutes and you'll have a big grin on your face for about an Yay. hour. Uh, especially if you... No, Nosy Crows Weasels one I, I read last week to, yeah. to, a, to a niece. Um, <coughs> and it's about weasels taking over the world. It's fantastic. Spoilers, weasels take over the world. Um, woo. Uh, yes, so uh, the shortlist was announced on CBBC's Blue Peter uh, just on Thursday, uh, 4th of December, in case you're listening in the future. Um, and yeah. Good luck, should, everyone. Good luck, everyone. Uh, it should be very interesting and uh, interesting award ceremony coming up next. Are we talk about books? Because that's the entire premise of the show. 
This is the part of the show traditionally before I review my book where I express dismaying confusion about the adverts. If you're listening to us on the podcast, you have no idea what we've just heard. But I also have no idea what we've just heard. Anyway, Fav Radio, we're lovely. So, I, I, I've got a book in the post by Jen Williams. Now, people who listened to the show earlier this year, and why haven't you been? I might have remembered that I got very excited about the Copper Promise and I made a little happy sound. I think pretty much my review is me going wee a lot <laughs> and getting getting horribly excited. So obviously when the uh, second book came out, I, I wrote a very nice letter to Headline saying, please, and they sent, me, sent it to me because they're lovely. And uh, the sequel to the Copper Promise is called The Iron Ghost. It's kind of like Iron Man, but spectral. No. <laughs> No, no. The Iron Ghost is a sequel to The Cotton Promise for a, um, a, quick, a quick reminder of what The Cotton Promise was about. It was a solid fantasy novel where uh, three, three different type of adventuring people got together, teamed up, and ended up having to fight a dragon. It had a dragon on the cover. It was great. It had all sorts of, you know, it was essentially um, a standard magical fantasy novel that was very tightly written, divided into sections, and an awful lot of fun. It was a whistle-stop tour of a world called Eid. It didn't have any of that grim darkness that Mr. Martin or Mr. Abercrombie keeps giving us. Had lots of action, had people dying, had that sort of thing, but at no point did someone go, oh, it's me. Um, so, the sequel. Is it as good? It is. Yay. It, it is as good. Um, it's got a couple of narrative issues that we'll get to at some point, but essentially, if you're expecting the same sort of solid fantasy based fun then this is just as much fun as the couple promise there's two there's, there's a dragon on the cover again oh these are weapons <gasps> there's oh my god they're so cool so so the first one had two dragon uh, one dragon this has two weapons we mm. expect for the third one I obviously have three other uh, uh, flying, see where you go with this things. fingers crossed maybe maybe they, they, they'll do something else entirely it depends what the third one's about but anyway so the, in the last book the three of them that's Widrin, who is a um, who is a master thief. She's known as Copper Cat. She is. Do you know what? She's she, she's she's a real girl. She's not some kind of random made up kind of Red Sonia style character. She's yeah. just, you know, a woman with scars and a knives who's badass. Wait. I really like the character, Sir Sebastian. He was the last knight of his order, um, for a variety of reasons. Um, and uh, Lord Aaron Frith. Lord Aaron Frith is, by kind of accident and design, a wizard, and in a world where there's not many wizards. Mm. Um, so, partially, uh, it picks up from some of the events of the last book. So, Sir Sebastian acquired a retinue of, shall we say, non-human eyes that he has to deal with. One of the things the book explains is what happened to that crowd, um, and, you know, what went on there. But also... Um, because these three people pretty much not only defeated a dragon but also defeated a, a dragon that was also a god they're famous they're world famous so there's people everywhere going yes actually I'd quite like you to deal with the, my goblin problem or whatever <laughs> as so, you do as you do so they get asked to, to go to a city called Skull's Hollow to retrieve a magical item from from these people called the Null so We've had our magical rock stolen. Our magical rock allows us to build, make ten statues into moving beings. So this entire place of Skull's Hollow has 
has, you know, cats and bears made out of stone, which have been carved in a very specific way, and they wander around. Um, now, the, pe- the Narl, the people who live in the mountains, well, they don't like that. And it takes a while, because it's very carefully built up. It takes it took me about halfway through the book, I realised that the Narl have essentially... Well, get this. The mountain dwelling... Yeah. They they uh, worship the mountain. They don't worship the mountain. They have a deep spiritual bond with the mountain. Uh, dwarves. Yeah. Um, <laughs> half the book. Half the book. Oh, sweetie. They're not. They're not short or anything. They just. They just live in the mountains. Yeah. It just took me a while, to, and they've got like you know, kind of frost powers. See, see, it took me for you to say they live in the mountain, and I went dwarves. <laughs> And they have a spiritual bond with it. Yeah, dwarves. But, but they're on wervens and stuff. So I was just like, oh, they're on wervens. They can't be... But no, they're dwarves. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Now, there's a char- the character in, uh, of Sir Sebastian. One of the things, one of the things I love about Jen Williams' writing is she, does, she, she draws these very straightforward lines when she creates a character. And that makes them really real. And it makes, them, makes you care. So, for example, Frith is quite arrogant. Um, but obviously he has he quite he cares about certain things he's quite analytical he's also quite pedantic so his pedantry makes me kind of like him uh-huh. uh, it makes me care um, but none of these little features are no big things so Sebastian one of the problems he had is he got kicked out of his order because he had love for another man uh-huh. um, and again it's you know he faced prejudice within his own order because that's the society he's in but it's clearly explained that he just like in the real world there are places where that's you know where, where people have grown up and accept that sort of thing and there are also places where, where you know bigotry is still alive and well mm-hmm. um, I always imagined Sir Sebastian to look like Sean Bean <laughs> a young does Sean he die? because if not I, no, then he, no. he gets knocked round so often and he's quite <laughs> blunt and he's just got that kind of rugged charm and I'm sure I'm completely wrong but in my head, he looks like... And then a young Sean Bean. A young Sean Bean. A bit of a sharp. And then we meet the the, the Narl, who live in the mountains. And we meet this prince, who lives in the mountains. Oh dear. And immediately, if I say to you, a dwarf prince, if you picture in your mind a dwarf prince... You're going to think Richard Armitage, aren't you? Well, see, you'd say that, but the first thing I did was, was, was Gimli... Oh, I suppose yeah. That's that. That was my first thought. But, but my... you know, now that you mention it, I, I don't mind picturing Richard Armitage in my mind. Not necessarily dwarf gear, but you know. So, so yes. So, um, so, so Sebastian ends up with a bit of a crush, shall we say, on on the dwarf prince, um, and that was a very pleasing mental image for me, and I suspect, suspect other people as well. <laughs> but anyway, it is very solidly written. It's very tightly written. Um, one of the subplots. One of the subplots. There's a series of flashbacks that explain what stuff that was left over from the last book, and I can see why it was there in the first place. But I was kind of like, it kind of drags on a little bit. It's one of those. It's one of those subplots. I'm kind of like, I kind of wish that they'd um, that it'd been resolved sooner. Okay. But when it is resolved, it made me laugh out loud. It's so much fun the way this uh, the, the, the subplot with the dragon ladies from the first book is resolved. Oh. Um, the plot itself, uh, essentially, um, all demons, all magics, all horrors from the past catch up with the party. They think they're on a simple mission. It's not a simple mission. It's all a Machiavellian plot to essentially 
give one very bad person an awful lot of power and because they are the characters they are they fall through completely without any suspicion and it all goes horribly wrong I really like this sort of fantasy novel and I'm very picky for me you have to have characters that work you have to have characters that are believable you have to have a world that's engaging but I still just want the action I still just want the dragon fire I still just want the the, the violence and the strangeness and the world of magic but Essentially, what I want is I want something very simple and straightforward and trashy, but in a complicated way. <laughs> um, I, I don't just want a cheese sandwich. I want it on rye bread with, you know, with artisan butter, with artisan cheese, with pepper, and, you know, with all the bits and pieces. <laughs> I, want a, I, want a, I want a $20 sandwich. I don't want a $2 sandwich. Um, the Iron Ghost is a $20 sandwich. Oh, um, I like that. You know, it's a $20 cheese sandwich, but still, it's a $20 cheese sandwich. Uh, not to say it's cheesy, but it is fun. It's, it, it is fun. solid fantasy. Yes. Um, it's just fun. And Jen Williams is good at just... It, she, she strikes at the heart of it being just fun. Yes, there's angst. Yes, there's character development. Yes, there's changes. But it's not grimdark. It's not, you know, it's not that kind of... Oh, my God, why are you bringing so, so much real-world darkness into the novel? There's plenty of darkness in the novel. There's plenty of light in the novel. There's plenty of fun. You'll That's fun. It. You'll rip through it. Uh, if you've read The Cop Cop Promise, this is more of the same. It's more of a solid middle book in the sense that this is one story. The Cop Promise was was like four stories interleaved into each other. Yeah. That created one story. This is one story. There's four there's four parts to it, but does it does it set up for the next book? Um yes and no. In the sense that she has she she's continuing to build the world. Whereas in the first one she kind of dashed around the world and did different bits of the world. We learn more about mountain regions. We learn more about one particular part of the world, Ooh. and nothing else really. We learn a lot more about wizards as well, but we're always learning more about wizards because they're they're a bit dastardly, to be honest. <laughs> um, so, just remind us, what's the title? It's the Iron Ghost. It will be out in the middle of February, so you should pre-order it via your pre-ordering book service, which is presumably your local independent bookstore. Or possibly a, you know, some sort of river. Um, <laughs> it's on. It's on headline. Um, and the author is. And the author is Jen Williams. So yes, who I believe is semi dreadful on Twitter. She she is she's she's very excited that we're reviewing her book. Oh, oh <laughs> yay! So um, so yes. So coming up next, we have more exciting random stuff. Across the world, 24 hours a day. This is Fatboyian International. So, we caught up with Greg Ben, who's a lovely Australian chap. If he sounds a bit tired, because it was about 2 o'clock in the morning when he, I was talking to him. It was like 6pm where I was. I was just having my tea. When he stayed up to talk to us about his book called... Um, about his new book, which is a marvellous fantasy slash science fiction collection of weirdness. 
Um, and I think you'll enjoy our interview. So this is our chat with Greg Ben. Embrace the alternative. This, this is Fabrician International. Greg Ben, welcome to the bookworm. Thank you, Ed. How are you? What can you tell us about your latest novel, Nine Planets? Well, what would you like to know? There's a, there's, it's really quite a, an unusual book. So, um, uh, what sort of things would you like to know? Because there's a lot I could tell you. <laughs> okay, um, Nine Planets is a most unusual thriller. It's a miraculous thriller uh, in that it looks like a thriller, and you, when you start reading it, that's what you think it is. You think that we're going to go on a thriller journey. But the more you read it, the more you realise that it's actually hiding something else altogether. So it's a thriller hiding something. And it's only when you get to the end that you really realise what that something actually is. As much as you can, please. We're really greedy. Oh, goodness. Um, I wish I knew. Uh, it, it, it covers a fair bit of everything. There's got a bit of sci-fi in it. There's a, a fair bit of alternate history. There's some disaster um, uh, elements to it. There's the faintest hint of romance, but that won't really appeal to many. Uh, it only appears on one or two pages. Um, and, oh, goodness, there is the, the alternate history part would appeal to a fair few people. The sci-fi uh, would appeal to some. Uh, some people have called it high uh, fantasy dystopia, which is an interesting combination. But it's a story that really defies any attempt at uh, genre classification. Where did you find the inspiration for Nine Planets? Uh, I didn't. It went for me. Um, it ambushed me. Edit. Uh, it ambushed me wholly and fully, and it was quite an amazing thing. Within ten minutes uh, of um, hearing the the trigger, the single sentence that uh, inspired the novel, uh, the novel was almost completely in my head and demanded to be told. So it was one of those very very strange. I've never had it before, and probably never have it again those strange moments of inspiration where uh, the novel said, here I am, write me. And so I did. What's next? Uh, well, Nine Planets is one of a kind. There won't be a sequel, or at least I haven't been given one yet. Um, so the next one is a, uh, is a very delightful story about um, uh, a young lady who gets, uh, whose father is kidnapped and he's an eccentric uh, academic and uh, she goes off looking for him and finds herself caught up in a, um, a mystery that takes in the uh, Black Death, uh, ancient manuscripts, um, nursery rhymes, and abandoned castles in Wales. So it's a, it's sort of like Harry Potter meets um, uh, the X-Men meets um, uh, ancient secrets and uh, manuscripts. So it's a rather interesting story. What inspires you and what took you on the journey to Nine Planets? Um, everything. Life inspires me. But uh, Nine Planets was inspired, this is the quite remarkable thing, Nine Planets was inspired by a single sentence. I was teaching English uh, as a second language to a group of overseas adults in Perth in Western Australia quite a few years ago, and it was the week before Christmas, and one of the students said that he thought that uh, Christmas, um, that Santa couldn't possibly deliver all the presents the night before Christmas, so he hires a network of retired postmen to help him. And it was that single sentence that inspired Nine Planets. And from that, I had the whole novel in my head within 10 minutes. But everything inspires me. Um, just curious things in life. Uh, today I was driving along and I thought, what would it be like if 
and a lot of my inspiration is from what if scenarios. So today the, the inspiration was what if um, we couldn't remember anything past a day? What would life be like if we had to have pictures and, and photos to, to keep us in mind of the things that we don't see for, you know, from one day to the next? So everything. It's a, life's a wonderful adventure and I'm very excited by it. If you could write for another franchise uh, rather than something else that you created yourself, what would it be? Uh, another franchise I would I'd love to write another Lord of the Rings that would be awesome um, Dune would be another one the, the good old Frank Herbert classic that would be a, a cracker of a thing to write uh, pretty well anything um, I'm, I'm excited by almost anything and uh, I put my own spin on it my own uh, style to it and, and off we go uh, I'd like to do um, a, a retake of the Harry Potter um, the Once and Future King by T.H. White. That was an absolute cracker of a book. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of stuff. I really enjoy oh, Alastair Reynolds as well. Um, uh, I could keep going, but uh, I think that'll do for a start. What's your process? Um, with Nine Planets, the whole novel was in my head within 10 minutes, so I knew the ending before I started. Uh, usually I just start writing and see what happens. Um, and when I realise what the end is, then I go back and rewrite everything again, and sometimes it takes three or four or five goes, really, before I figure out what the novel is about and what it's trying to tell me, uh, and then I can be comfortable. Once I know the end, I can, I can aim towards it, uh, but um, sometimes it takes a long time. What advice would you give to a 16-year-old version of yourself? <laughs> Don't do all the stupid stuff. <laughs> um, no, oh, yeah, goodness. Um, write earlier. Um, uh, what would it be? Write, start writing. Don't tell any, let anybody tell you that uh, what you're doing is stupid and keep writing and keep knocking on publishers' doors until somebody answers you. If you were trapped on a desert island with only one book for company, what would it be? Uh, the Bible, without any question. Uh, if there was a number two, um, it would be Lord of the Rings. Um, number three, Once and Future King by T.H. White. How does Australian fiction differ from the rest of the world of genre fiction? Um, Australian fiction has got a... We've still got a, uh, a sense uh, in ourselves of exploration, um, of wildness. Uh, I noticed that George Miller's got the, um, the new Mad Max number four coming out, and we've still got that sense of wildness and of adolescence in our, in, in our writing, um, still of working out who we are. Uh, you know, we're a very young country, still only, what, 200 and something years old, so not really what you call an old country. And in terms of literary style, that, that style is still developing. So, yeah, we're, we're like that. Um, Tim Winton, if you ever read any of his stuff, Cloud Street, Dirt Music and a few others, there's still... I mean, he's a national living treasure all by himself, but there's still that sense in there of, of the way that Australians relate to the country and the landscape and, and the wildness of it. It's a huge country and a very beautiful and dangerous and lovely country all at the same time. The ocean or the sky? Uh, oh, oh, that's a good one. Ocean. Love the ocean. Um, I'm dead scared of it, but uh, the ocean and its... Um, uh, there's a lot to love about it, and uh, I'm, you know James Cameron taking all of his uh, submarines down and exploring his fantastic stuff. And I also remember with great uh, delight the the, the movie um, Dead Calm with Nicole Kidman and I think Billy Zane, 
and the wildness of it. And it was almost like Norse, Norse mythology on the ocean um, with yachts. It was a fantastic movie. So, yeah, love the ocean, love the whales and the depth of it and the, the, the wonder of it and the mystery of it. it it's, a, it's a fantastic place to, um, uh, to set a sci-fi epic, and I think uh, James Cameron did that with Abyss. So, yeah, it's a great place. Space comes a close second. Fantasy or science fiction? Uh, in, in, impossible to uh, to separate the two. I love both um, interchangeably, and um, Nine Planets really actually worked a little bit of both into it. So that was really my take on both. But I've read both uh, with great delight, and it's difficult to say one above the other. Truth or beauty? Truth every time, but beauty's a very, very close second. Um, you have to have truth. You have to have something absolute. So for me, that always wins. Greg Byrne, thank you very much for your time. A pleasure, Ed, and look forward to uh, uh, anything in the, in the future as well. This is Fab Radio International. Uh, and that was Greg Byrne. Um, and that's his book, Nine Planets, which you should be able to get by Googling Greg Ben and Nine Planets. Um, so, you have a book, apparently. This I have a book, and it's signed. I get stupidly excited by things like this. I met the author a couple of years ago when she was touring the UK, and, and I had a, like literally a bag full of her books, because I really love them. So, what am I reviewing? <laughs> um I'm talking about Priestess of the White today, uh, which is a book um, by Trudy Cameron. Um, it's on Orbit, and it's the first book in a trilogy called The Age of Five. Um, if you're not familiar with Trudy Canavan, she mainly <coughs> writes in the high fantasy corner, uh, and, and her books are, well, quite frankly, incredible. Um, so what's this one about? Priestess of the White um, follows the um, life of Oriya, um, and Oriya is a young girl um, with many talents, and um, she's very friendly with the local Dreamweaver um, in her little village. And Dreamweavers are kind of sort of outlaws. Um, they have they don't believe in gods. They, however, have gifts uh, of healing. They know plants. They know how to use them. They know how to heal mainly. Um, and so Oriya lives in this little village, minding her own business and growing up. And then one day, her little village is attacked, and um, she's instrumental in in forging a peaceful alliance. And so she gets noticed by uh, one of the um, whites, and the whites are the priests of the five gods. And so she gets swept away and starts her training as a priestess. Um, and within 10 years, uh, she becomes one of the five. Mm. And the five are also called voices. And basically they, they talk for the gods. They have a spiritual bond with the gods. And they also have the most amazing gifts. I'm not going to go into the gifts because it's a bit spoilerish. But they have very awesome gifts. Um, and basically the story revolves it's, it's mostly from Mariah's point of view however as a big world fantasy uh, you get the points of view of different characters within this and you follow the different characters in this interweaving massive story um, and at the moment Mariah sort of comes to power war is sort of exploding in different parts of her 
world um, heralded by these black cloaked figures that are going around um, doing really really bad things mm-hmm. uh, and and it's so bad that even the whites even the voices have no idea whether they're actually going to be able to hold the tide back and so this is the time when Oriya sort of comes into her power and she needs to sort of get a grip on it very quickly to make sure that, that she moves and, and helps and, and prevents this war from destroying everything she's ever known um, so this is the premise of the first book um, and it's the, of Trudy Canavans this is my favourite trilogy um, my favourite story uh, it's nicely self-contained it's the f- nice three chunky books um, and there's a lot of world building it's it's a massive massive world beautiful mythology the whole religious side of it is really intriguing um, and during the three books it gets explored beautifully uh, through the eyes of the different these different characters and this layered who's the dream weaver that's friends with Araya when she's younger and he then plays um, quite a big role in the story throughout the book so it shifts perspective yes it does yeah it follows the different characters shifting slightly um, between them so you get to see like the different sides of of the world and, and what it means to be you know a priest a dream weaver or just someone caught in in the middle um and all of these characters eventually will come together and it's a massive puzzle and when you kind of put all the pieces down you go I, I did not see that coming um it's very very cool uh, really really interesting world uh, I, I do like Raya a lot because um, she's not one of those oh I've got the power I've got all the power I'm going to use it and I'm going to make everything better she makes loads of mistakes uh, she's really afraid she she tries to be brave in the face of what is you know all the doom um, and she, it, it, it makes her very very sort of likeable and, and very recognisable and you, I think in, it's important and you were mentioning it before when you're reading a, a high fantasy book because the worlds are so alien you know it, there's magic and you know there's gods that talk to you uh, although I'm sure a lot of people would say that in real life as well um, and you know it, it's so different from, from our reality that it's important that the characters are uh, you know recognizable and that you can see parts of yourself in in the different in the different characters um and and Trudy Canavan managed always manages to do that really easily um if if you haven't read any other books um she's definitely one that if you enjoy high fantasy you should totally pick up so is she one of those authors that when you're reading the book you kind of you're in amongst what's going on oh absolutely and then by the time you get to the end and you pull away and then you suddenly go you see the bigger picture see I read this book this is not a new book Um, she's got more recent series but because this is my favourite I just wanted to go there and and sort of review it and hopefully you know people will will discover it and and read it and and fall in love with it like I did Uh, but this was uh, in uh, published in 2006 in the UK and even now I kind of almost criticise most of the high fantasy books basing them on what this trilogy is because for me this is just perfect perfect fantasy um, you know the world, the characters, the, the magic system, the belief system all of the mythology behind it and just the way the story comes together and just 
blows your mind. Uh, it is not a book that you will sit down. It's not a quick book. Um, it's it's quite slow in places, but simply because of the world building that goes into it. Uh, so even when you feel you're not going anywhere, it actually still is building those blocks so that when you get to a certain point you'll have all the knowledge that's necessary to make the connections um i loved the approach to the gods and and what she does with the five and and their relationship with the gods of of um of the territory and 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 how how they operate in the different parts and the different sort of people that that you know inhabit the world um i would definitely say if you're into fantasy high fantasy that kind of thing no elves although there are you know different tribes that are not quite as human looking in in human magically advanced beings yeah (laughs) flying things that are so beautiful so interesting um yeah you definitely want to pick this up um this this, as i said it's a trilogy so there's there's three books the first one is priestess of the white and if you haven't read it you really want to Excellent, that sounds like a lot of fun. So, what's it called again? Uh, it of the White by Trudy Kahneman. It's the first book on the Age of Five series, and it's by Orbit. And uh, coming up next, I think we're going to be talking about fantasy worlds, fantasy novels, and anything else we can think of. the world 24 hours a day this is Batman International Uh, a quick reminder is that if you're on the FabRadioInternational.com website and you're listening to us live, you can catch us on webcam. I'm waving at you right now. Um, if a listen- broadcast of a delay. If you are listening... Right now. If you're listening right, right now. now, if you're <laughs> listening to a podcast, this makes no sense to you at all, and you've probably gone to the FabRadioInternational.com to see our lovely faces, and you've instead seen some Mancunians looking weird. Because that's a good <laughs> description of the radio station's output. Um, so we have uh, oddly a sort of a sort of theme, <laughs> um, which is essentially been a fantasy world, a fantasy world building. Well, you said you were reviewing a fantasy, and, and I'm looking through my bookshelves, going, "Hmm, fantasy. Oh, I know. Anyone to do that? Look, look. There's my hand." <laughs> and, and in a in a, in a world where we you know, almost coordinate and consider these things. Um, of course, this is the month that the last of the D and D fifth edition books come out, and people are like, "What's that got to do with books?" Oh, they're books, they're, they're, they're fantasy books, and arguably, I would say D and D is a quintessential fantasy world building exercise. Um, the amount of authors, if you're a fan of fantasy or science fiction, you will have read stuff written by people who play role playing games, almost certainly. I don't know any of those. <coughs> yes. Um, you, you 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 basically you can't throw a beach ball in a in a convention of of authors without hitting someone who hasn't um, 
hasn't played a game of D&D, or ran a game of D&D, or written a game of D&D, or indeed written some other fantasy game or fantasy novel, the amount of, the amount of people's role-playing game campaigns that I've re- read in book form mm. um, as a whole thing. And I think it's because it's a creative exercise. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I mean, uh, whether it's D&D or, or any other sort of tabletop role-playing game, um, the the main thing that as a as a GM you're doing it's literally you're building your world based on what the book gives you and then you build the stories within that world so really you're writing a, a book just in your mind and also you know you don't get to decide where it goes because then you've got your players uh, I, I always find that hilarious when you read about you know books uh, authors who have had players and they're like I've plotted it this way and then someone played this and I completely changed my novel. Uh-huh. I always find that hilarious. But yeah, world building is such a such a critical part I find, um, yeah. and it's it's the worlds that I fall in love with rather than a good example I think is Robin Hobb and um, her fictionary stuff. Whereas there's a lot of people I'll meet who be like. I really like the character of Fitz. I don't. I don't yeah. like the character of Fitz at all. He's whiny, he's self-obsessed, he's pessimistic. He's the complete opposite of me. And you might think, oh, well, maybe that's a bit... You know, maybe that's, uh, that's why you like the character. I don't like the character at all. He's a bit of an idiot. <laughs> um, but the world that he inhabits and the people that he talks to and the stuff that he does, I absolutely adore. And I love seeing him interact with this kind of, you know, but if, I mean, I think I think if you look at sort of the most beloved books, most of that, as you say, it's because people look at the world and go, "I want to live there. I want to be one of those people that that interacts in that world." You know, I I want to live in Middle Earth. I'm I'm a, I'm a hobbit. I am just you know, let me go back home. I think for me, the classic example of a world that. You know, a world that is built around uh, stories that are built around the world rather than the character are Judge Dredd because oh. when John Wagner was originally told to write Judge Dredd he just wrote Dirty Harry he wrote a bunch of Dirty Harry and then he didn't really know America very well at the time so he just parodied kind of a media representation of America and it got bigger and bigger in the writing and more and more ridiculous and then other people wrote Judge Dredd stuff and they added more and more Silliness, shall we say, and more and more exaggeration. And so, what we have is this horrible fascist world filled with exaggeration mm. and filled with weirdness. And you know, you've got you know the cult of the fatties, who are people who eat at an Olympic level to make themselves <laughs> as, as physically huge as possible. And you know, you the Zuma is all these kind of weird cults and things going on in the world in this world. And meanwhile, dread is still a kind of stoic bigger who goes you know you've committed a crime bang and he's you know he's getting old that's his interesting thing he's getting old he's starting to consider his life choices but apart from that everything else he's just you know he's just a machine but the world goes on around him it's the world you read for it's not the character yeah if they killed off Judge Dredd tomorrow you'd still read Judge Dredd because the the characters he's not the main character Mm. Mega City 1 is um, same way with Middle Earth. Middle Earth yeah. is the Middle Earth is the main character. Oh, absolutely! Not, Gandalf, not Frodo, not Bilbo. It's it's great to get to know those characters, and obviously you always have a a favourite that you meet throughout your journey. But really, if they if they started writing stories in Middle Earth again, then you would still read it because it's Middle Earth, and you know 
what else is it going to happen there? What, what? It's in with Firefly. I mean, going on the TV in sci-fi, uh, Firefly, the most the most interesting character in that is the Serenity. Oh yeah. There is no Firefly without Serenity. Uh, it's just a bunch of people stranded on the planet, looking a bit lost. <laughs> yeah, I love Serenity. But the concept of I think the concept of things building the world rather than rather than people. It's it's just the people that allow you to explore it. Absolutely. Well, as you said as well, sometimes the people aren't even that nice. You just stay because of the world that, that, that they inhabit and the things that they see and the things they can do. But, um, it's like, you know, the Hunger Games. Again, it's an interesting world there. That, that there's there's an interesting take. I wouldn't want to live in it, <laughs> but it's great to see it. I wouldn't want to live in the, the Hunger Games. <laughs> I, wouldn't want to, I mean, one of, the, one of my favourite books of all time is 1984. And I keep wondering why 1984 is one of my favourite books because it's nothing like me. Um, I think it's because I was 16 when I first read it, and it kind of and it, it's again George Orwell. George Orwell accidentally built a world, and I think that's maybe I'm being a bit mean, but he's just trying to create this exaggerated parody of a place that allows him to bang his various political drums. Whereas what he's accidentally done there is he's created a place like in the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. He's created a place that is engaging and interesting. I always wanted to know more about what was going on in the other the other two nation states. Mm. You know, what was that war with Eurasia? What's it like to live in Eurasia? Uh, um, you know, George Orwell would have never written that book because it's not relevant to what he's trying to say. Of course. But to be honest, I'd be fascinated to learn more about that particular world rather than a dictionary on Newspeak. That's why I like... Uh, the Hunger Games and even the Maze Runner, you start in a in a place and then slowly sort of creep out into the rest of the world. And I've noticed, especially sort of in, like in tr- trilogies, that the first book is sort of concentrated in one place and you get to know that place and then maybe you start forking out. And by the time you get to the third book, the whole world is at your fingertips and you have a a better view of what is out there and 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 it just grows and grows and intrigues you even more one of the things i find fascinating about tolkien's story is that tolkien was much more interested about writing the history in the world yes. than writing stories and he by doing that he actually created almost a career path for a certain sort of author mm. because right now if you want to if you wanted to do what what tolkien did you can. When Tolkien did it, he couldn't really. He had, to, you know, he had to have a proper job. He had to do other things. He had to yeah. be involved in other, other places. But you, you know, if you work for um, a video games company or you know, games mostly, the, these this world building is used mostly in games rather than rather than in fiction. Yes. But you know, creators of fiction love to write source books. Love to write, write their own kind of world. George R. R. Martin has just done the world of Ice and Fire. Yes. Um, Gorgeous. Anyway. Get it. Get it. Go get it. For, get it for Christmas. Ask for it for Christmas. It's beautiful. And, and as he told the show, he, that's only half of what he he had. He had. Yeah. He had more there that he wants to. You know, he wants to build a, a, you know, another book. I want to read that book. I want to. See, you know, I want to see countless source books in the, in the world of Ice. Yeah. And Fire. 
Um, but even um, even J.K. Rowling's, I mean, she wrote the Harry Potter books, and then she wrote all of the little books about, you know, Quidditch through the history and, and Care of Magical Creatures and this and that and the other. And all those books, all they do is literally make that world more in-depth and bigger and, and, and more intricate and, and just make it so much more clearer in your mind. Uh, I love things like that. I love... I love um, source books and, and history books that tell you about magical worlds and I think one of the problems with commercial creation of our worlds, world building and storytelling and as you know I've written I've written backgrounds for uh, tabletop role playing games for life mm. action role playing games and for video games uh, if, if you're listening to this room going I didn't know you did that Ed yes yes I do um, <laughs> amongst many things <laughs> amongst many things and one of the things I found absolutely fascinating I always find fascinating about that process is how it's managed I was on a project that was um, everyone involved was fairly inexperienced um, and rather popular Greek based game that I'll not mention the name of yeah. uh, Greek Roman inspired game and it was managed in a it was, it was supposedly managed in a top down way but what actually happened is everyone went we have an idea and we ended up with 20 different origins and 20 different kind of backstories and all the rest of it mm -hmm. and without kind of hand from above distilling it it was a mess to begin with but eventually we got there and we got to one solid vision but this is the, the thing I always find fascinating when one author has their one singular vision you get this one singular world and you tend to get two or three very solid themes. Mm. We can easily describe the themes of Tolkien's world. We can easily describe the themes of J.K. Rowling's world. We can very easily describe the themes of the Discworld. Mm. If you have more than one set of eyes on it, though, then, oh my goodness, it's a mess. An interesting example are the world's Warhammer, because they don't have any theme, except perhaps the fear of progression. You could argue that's the fear of growing up. Apart from that, they have they have nothing else. They just have a big kind of wide variety of cool stuff that you can play with. Mm. There's full of cool stuff that you can play, play with. But there's no solid concept in there. Whereas, you know, if I say to you the themes of Harry Potter, you, you'd be straight in there. <laughs> um, so... Um, so, for example, because you know, there is the theme of growing up in Harry Potter, but yes. there's also, also there's also fear of growing up. There's also legacy of family. It's very yep. English. Yes, it is. But yes, it is. That's an interesting point. Terry Pratchett versus J.K. Rowling. Not the two authors, because I know they don't get on famously. Yeah. But wouldn't it be interesting? We should do a show on this. We should take. We should get a bunch of us together, and we should take the disc world apart. And we should take uh, Harry Potter's world apart. Ooh. Because they're built on very different ethoses. Mm. Uh, if you look at the Tiffany Aitken books, there's that wonderful line in the Tiffany Aitken books where she goes, oh, I, can't, I can't get the quote quite right, nice. But Granny Referax turns around to Tiffany Aitken and goes, You hang on to your dreams and you follow your star and you're, you're confident in your destiny, then you'll still be sitting at home doing nothing while the people who are doing the work get <laughs> past you. Uh, whereas Harry Potter, it's all you have a destiny, Harry. You're a wizard, Harry. Um, actually, how I, am I accidentally talking about white male privilege? <laughs> we don't know. We don't do that, do we? What? <laughs> <laughs> shall, shall we move on? 
So, okay, yes, let's do that. Yes, sorry, oops. Uh, accidentally strayed into politics. I'm very sorry, Lesnar. So, if you've listened to me babble for the last five, ten minutes, how long have I been at this now? It's, is it six and a half days? It feels like six and a half days. <laughs> um, so, uh, we have... If you would like to send your complaints through, please address them to Ed Fortune. <laughs> and you can find us at Radio Bookworm on Facebook, Radio Bookworm on Twitter, on Tumblr. You can find us through the FabRadioInternational.com website or through the Starbus Magazine website. It's Ed Fortune. If you have any uh, really, really, really angry rants and you, you're really upset with me and you really want to have a go, um, send, your, send your opinions to Voxdick. No, um, sorry. <laughs> Right, uh, moving swiftly on. Well, that was quite unwise. Uh, moving swiftly on. We're going to have to run away, I'm afraid. Across the world, the real alternative. FabRadioInternational.com You have been listening to Ed Fortune talking nonsense, so it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from Nympha Hayes. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab, Radio, International and Starburst magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes. Produced by A.L. Johnson. <laughs>